Previously on Suspicion. She was a nurse. She was trained as a nurse and she worked at Park West Hospital. He just hadn't got up apparently, but none of his breakfast has been touched and she had left to go somewhere and when she came back, she said she found him in here shocked. Look, look right here, here's another hole. He's fired more than once. There has been more than one. Look right here, right into the bed, right where the gun's laying. If she indeed did not do this, then she is one of the most unfortunate women who's ever lived in this county. Cindy Wilkerson was working in the barber shop her dad, David Leith, founded in West Knoxville when the phone rang. But it wasn't a customer. It was her dad's wife, Raynella Dossett Leith. She never called me. She asked me if I'd seen him and, or talked to him. Less than three hours later, Raynella made another unusual phone call. County 911. Help me! Help me! Ma'am, well, ma'am, what's going on? Ma'am, ma'am, what's going on? Ma'am, 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 Ma'am. A Knox County Sheriff's Office deputy found Raynella face down on the ground. She wasn't moving. He feared she was dead, so he tapped her lightly with his boot. We came up and said something to her, touched her. She jumped up and went into hysterics. Inside the house on the sprawling farm in the Solway community, David Leith was dead in his bed. He was shot in the forehead, and the gun was found by his side. Lead detective Perry Milliers already knew Raynella, and he's already suspicious of her suicide tale. He or someone has fired at least two rounds that we know of. We just not found the third one yet. But there's also a shot into the bed, which is a little suspicious in itself. And her behavior. That affair is strange. From the Knoxville News Sentinel and the USA Today Network, Tennessee, this is Suspicion. Raynella today is a 69-year-old grandmother. Some say she's a tragic heroine. Others say she's a black widow. She's been jailed, tried, jailed, freed, tried, and freed again. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to declare a mistrial in this case. Yes, we really can't talk about the case. We're going to trial again. Uh, we found the defendant. Guilty. 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 
the court finds that the state has failed. The evidence is insufficient. Back in March of 2003, Moyers knew Raynella had already buried one husband and an 11-year-old son on this farm. How much can a woman take? She's lost her husband, and now she's lost their son. But Moyers also knew Raynella tried to kill a man, Steve Walker, on the same farm eight years earlier with the same type of gun now laying next to Leith's dead body. She told Moyers he deserved it. All of the guns that, that were, you know, handguns are at my daddy's house because I just got off probation for aggravated assault, keeping a sovereign bitch and trying to piss on my husband's grave. I was on probation for six years. But Walker doesn't see it that way. Raynella's first husband, Knox County Prosecutor Ed Dossett, had an affair with Walker's wife. Three years after Dossett died, trampled, they said, by his own cows, Walker found out the boy he raised as his son was actually Dossett's. Walker said when Raynella found out, she lured him to the farm and opened fire. Well, I knew she was going to kill me. If I went back, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> that is one mean woman. Walker said Raynella premeditated a defense for his attempted murder. Now, on the way up there, you know, that's where Ed's buried. She told me, she said, well, I don't blame you for me. You know, we had talked about on the way out there all about the affair and all this other stuff. And she said, I don't blame you. If you want to go out and piss on his grave, I'll turn my head. And I said, no, I wouldn't do anything like that. Journalist Jim Ballack remembers the community wasn't quite sure what to make of Raynella opening fire on Walker. I think the loss of the husband and the son certainly made her much more sympathetic. The shooting episode probably was a mixed reaction. I think a lot of people thought that the, the, the pressure on her, on that, is cre uh, of having lost her son and her husband, may have created some uh, pressures that caused her to make a very bad decision. Moyers knew all about Walker's shooting. His agency handled the case. But at this point, he's looking at Leith who Raynella said killed himself. Gentleman's laying in a bed covered up with blankets and covers. Fingers are cold and turning stiff, but I checked the toes. Toes still feel to be a little warm. If you can imagine sort of anybody's bedroom, there's, there's the bed uh, with a headboard. There are a pair of nightstands, one on either side. If you're facing the bed, that is, you're standing at the foot of the bed, looking at the bed, on the nightstand on the left is a tray with some breakfast on it. In the bed, kind of in the middle of the bed, on his side is David Leith. He is lying on his right side. He has a, a pillow between his legs, like some people do to help their back. He is sort of lying with his, his left arm across his chest and his right arm a little bit below him. He has obviously been shot in the head. Uh, he has a bullet wound in his forehead, almost at the edge, the, the, the center edge of his right eyebrow, so just above his nose. Moyers wanted to hear from Raynella before the lawyers showed up. They haven't asked her anything. Okay. She has not said anything out there to help them, help them, help them. Well, going out there, and, you got your type of court away there? Uh, yeah, it's in bar I get it, or at least go out there and make notes on what she's saying to him, because they shouldn't be talking to him, but I know how that is. He knew from the Walker case that Raynella had called in a legal team before detectives ever showed up that day. So there were lawyers already out there? Yeah. Filming. The policeman. Deputy Steve Webb introduced Moyers to Raynella. 
She was outside, her stilly blue eyes puffy from tears. And when you returned, the, the door was still closed and the lights were off? Yeah. I mean, it was just pulled to like, like, like I would have pulled it to, you know. Okay. Take you a minute get your breath. This, this is Detective Moyers, one of my partners. And, okay. Um, he's probably going to have some questions, too, so just take a deep breath. You, you're doing really good. You're doing really good helping us establish what time and everything, okay? I really don't. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see that you can, you can get on to where you can get to the doctor. Moyers soon discovered something else amiss in the suicide tale. Three shots had been fired in the Leith bedroom. Only one struck Leith in the forehead. The gun is next to his hand on the bed. So Perry is looking at a scene here that he walks in the door, at least with an assumption of suicide. Right. Then he sees weird position of the gun. He sees more than one gunshot. Mm -hmm. And that heightens his suspicion. It doesn't, uh, look, it doesn't look like a movie suicide. A three-shot suicide? It's possible, Knox County's chief medical examiner said. A test fire, a missed shot, both could explain the extra gunfire. But before Dr. Dorinka Malusnik-Polchan had even examined Leith's body, she knew one thing. Dead men cannot pull triggers. Any shot that would have occurred after the brainstem, the, the headshot, in your view, he couldn't have done it. That's correct. Moyers had to wait on the medical examiner's conclusions. But at that point, he knew the last person to see Leith alive is the same person who found him dead. But the fact that Moyers was immediately suspicious of Raynella still troubles attorney Joshua Hedrick. And she's the last person to see him alive. That's right. And that's kind of a, a, a line of thought that I think should concern a lot of people in the sense that I'm often the last person to see my wife before she leaves. Before she leaves the house. And um, I, I'd hate to think that that's going to one day be the reason why, God forbid, I'm a suspect in something. She, she falls into kind of what scientists would call a confirmation bias. They have a theory that she's killed her husband. And so from there on out, everything they find tends to support their theory. And they, they believe it tends to support their theory because they're viewing it from the perspective of that theory, right? So for example... While he's there, he receives a telephone call from the sheriff's office. And by that, I mean the elected, the sheriff's people. Hello? Hi. Hi. Sorry to bother you. Daddy wanted me to call let him know. Who this is? Okay. They basically, they basically call and say, listen, you know whose house you're at, right? And you know, the, the sheriff wants you to be very careful about what's going on over there. Be very careful. Don't forget whose house you're at. Okay. Prosecutor Cynthia Schimmel thought Moyer's suspicion was well-placed. She thinks Raynella is an actress whose performance of Grieving Widow times two began the moment she called and said Leith was dead. There was a, almost a slip in something that she said on the 911 tape. You'd have to listen to it. Mm -hmm. To, to catch it. My husband shot himself three, three, oh, three, one, so I hurt. You know, the slip 
almost sounded like it wasn't suicide. What does she mean there, Matt? As I understand it, she thinks that Raynella almost slips up and says, my husband shot himself three times rather than giving the address 3031. My husband shot himself 3031, so it hurt. And if you listen to the 911 tape, you can certainly hear it that way. It's like everything with this case. You can hear it any way you want to. Journalist Balak isn't so sure. I heard it several times, and I distinctly remember the, the first words, help, help me, help me. And then I believe she said, my husband shot himself. And they asked for the address, and she said, very excited, sounds hysterical, out of breath. And she says, three. Three, oh, three, one, saw what hurt. Just like she was trying to get pull it all together. Uh, sounded like legitimate stress to me. They were teens locked away for life for murder. But now they're getting a second chance. Uncertain Terms, a new podcast from TC Palm, explains why judges are resentencing kids who killed, why families are having to relive these painful murders, and why some of these killers are walking free. Find it now on your favorite podcast app. Raynella was vague on details when she first talked to Moyers outside the house. I can't, I can't remember. Raynella said Leith was upset over his mom's failing health. She told Moyers she brought him breakfast in bed and left. Moyers had already seen the breakfast tray. It was on the nightstand. There was a Bible open on the table with reading glasses on top nearby. Just so you guys know, I am recording. There appears to be a tray here. It's got oatmeal on it with toast underneath it wrapped up. doesn't appear to be used. Silverware is still unused. Jelly, juice, milk, none of which looks like it's been drunk out of. When last she left, he was in bed. When she came home, he was in bed. The food hadn't been eaten. Wilkerson, Leith's daughter, said when Raynella called her that morning, Raynella told her that her dad left the house without eating. She said that he went to eat. I mean, he, he went to work out on an empty stomach and wanted to know, you know, if I'd, if I'd seen him. Had she so ever... I thought that was, you know, strange. That, and I turned to Hoyt and said something about that conversation was right. Prosecutor Schimmel remembers there were clothes in the washer. There was something else interesting if he'd, with him dying in, in bed. When the police did arrive on the scene, uh, there were clothes in the, I believe they were in the washer, and they were spinning. Well, you know... How long does a spin cycle take on a regular load of laundry? Interesting question. The house was locked up when Raynella says she arrived back home. That's not surprising if Leith killed himself. But if he didn't, Prosecutor Richard Fisher says the locked doors mean only one thing. Leith knew his killer. And no, there was no murder. There was no third person. There was no forceful entry of any kind. She had been in the house. She delivered the bowl of oatmeal to him. She left by the door. That one door was the only thing open. Moyers knew the gun at Leith's side was a thirty-eight Special, a six-shot. He didn't see any other guns in the bedroom or in the house. He asked Raynella about it. Where'd he keep his gun at? I don't know where that gun is from. I've never seen that gun in my whole life. I mean, what kind of guns does he have? 
I don't know. Gun you don't know if he owns a gun like that? I, I never saw that gun before. Okay. So, Jamie, what is Moyers thinking as he ends his day sending the body to the morgue? Well, what Investigator Moyers knows is that Katie Dossett, Raynella's daughter, David Lee's stepdaughter, left the house at 8 a.m. Raynella returned at 11.30 and says she found her husband dead in the bed. There's no sign of forced entry, so there's no indication of an intruder who would have been responsible for this death. The idea of suicide is not sitting well with Moyers at this point because three shots were fired. Raynella, though, has at least the outlines at this point of a possible alibi. She tells Moyers that she left David Leith in bed after uh, bringing him breakfast, and she said she left around 9 a.m. So he has, at the end of the day, Lots of suspicions, not only about whether this is indeed a suicide, but whether Raynella is responsible. The locked doors on this house indicate that no other person could have gone inside. David was a very beloved member of the community. His barber shop that he worked at was a, was a popular barber shop. He was well-liked, I think, by the neighbors. I, I think it would take you a lot of effort to find someone who disliked David. So what does all this mean for Moyers at this point? So what the medical examiner has concluded is that when the brainstem was severed, at that point, David Leith had no control over any body function at all, that he was effectively dead. And yet we have another shot presumably fired after the brainstem was severed into the mattress. And this is not like when you see a dead animal's legs twitch a little bit after death. This is an immediate knockout blow. That's the way that uh, the medical examiner described it. Uh, Now, I did talk to uh, Don Carmen, who is a well-known firearms expert in the state of Tennessee, worked for TBI for years, set up Metro Nashville's crime lab unit, very well respected. And one of the things that he said was that it would require at least 10 pounds of pressure to pull the trigger on this 38 Special that was used in this death. So he is of the opinion that someone with a severed brainstem simply could not have exerted that amount of pressure. The convulsion just wouldn't be enough. Right. Um, Even if there were a convulsion, which Dr. Maluznik says there would not be. Right, right. And so that's going to become a point of uh, contention as this case moves along. Um, it, it is another reason why uh, investigator Perry Moyers is highly suspicious of this suicide claim. At that point, she's, I think I would consider her to be the only viable suspect. By day two, he's looking at her as the suspect of the homicide because she is the most, she's the most logical suspect in the sense that she's the only person who really has, I guess, the access. She's in the home, right? Um, We can't put anybody else in the home, so it must be her. Raynella, though, was already pointing out another suspect, her daughter-in-law, when Milliers asked her about the gun. Maybe Sandy knows. Wilkerson did not even know her dad had been shot. 
Jerry can answer. Uh, Maggie's father-in-law came by and uh, told me that I needed to leave with him that uh, something had happened to my dad on the farm. And I didn't, I didn't know if the tractor, I didn't know what, you know, at that time, what it was. And I sure didn't think of a gunshot. <laughs> Leith's autopsy wasn't complicated. The medical examiner said he died from a single gunshot that severed his brainstem. Uh, he would become immediately unresponsive because it severed his brainstem. The immediate uh, response of the body would be flaccid paralysis, meaning he's limp and paralyzed. I mean, that's it, because uh, there's complete disconnect now between the brain and the, uh, and the rest of the spinal cord, the rest of the body, with brainstem being so devastated and severed, he would just become immediately limp, so there is no pulling trigger uh, after that happened. And so in this case, that's vital in the sense of the difference between suicide and homicide, right? Yes. I mean, did that, that factor into knowing, knowing the scene and knowing that there were three shots? Did you factor that in when you concluded it was homicide? Yes. She was leaning against a ruling of suicide when Moyers got a strange call from a hospital administrator. And not just any hospital. Park West. Which is significant for what we're into right now. It's significant in the sense that she used to work there. Now, I don't assign a lot of significance to it because I mean, I think it's only it's only sensible that if your if your family member is going to be hospitalized, that you would urge them to go to the place where you know all the doctors and you know the nurses and you know they'll be properly taken care of. The administrator said Raynella had hired a lawyer and a private investigator. She wanted the staff there to confirm her alibi for the morning of her husband's death. Moyers quickly called Raynella for a second interview. Why should I not be suspicious that within a very short period of time after her husband's death, Raynella has hired a criminal defense attorney mm -hmm. who has employed an investigator who goes to Park West not just to confirm an alibi, but to actually interview people that saw her, make sure it's videoed, I believe. Mm -hmm. Takes very concrete steps to shore up, if you will, her alibi. That seems suspicious to me. So why, why should I not be suspicious of that? I think there's a couple things we have to keep in mind. The first is, is that there's no suggestion that she's coercing anyone to say anything that isn't true. She's merely collecting information. The question you're asking is, why shouldn't you be suspicious? But the response I have is, that's, that's just being smart, right? So let's not forget that her husband was a district attorney. She knows what it means when the detectives want to talk to you again. When you are called to come to the police station to be talked to a second time, and then you're asked, where are you? Where did you go? What did you do? 
Uh, she knows what that means. She knows she's a suspect, right? And so she knows she needs to talk to an attorney. And the attorney, and quite rightly so, as would I, says, okay, well, if you have an alibi, we need to preserve that. Because the worst thing that can happen as a lawyer is you, can, you find out that there was evidence that your client was not guilty that you didn't preserve because you waited too long. This time, Raynella had a lawyer by her side and lots of details about where she was when her husband died. Raynella gets up, she gets dressed, uh, she makes breakfast, she brings David breakfast in bed. At this point in time, David had retired uh, from the barber shop. He was, I think that day, was going to go with one of his friends to pick up some mulch, was the plan. She brings him breakfast in bed. Uh, he's still in bed watching television. He doesn't eat immediately. Um, she sort of encourages him to not, don't let that get cold. Katie goes to school. Raynella leaves the house, tells, says goodbye to David. Uh, she leaves. He's still in bed when she leaves. He hasn't yet showered or dressed. Uh, now, she said they watched Joyce Myers together, right? Mm-hmm, that's uh, right. On television. Uh, on the television. And she goes first to her mother-in-law's house, Mamie. That's David's mother. She's the, Mamie's the one in the hospital. Uh, she goes to her house first, and she picks up the mail and the, picks a few flowers from her garden, leaves that house and goes to Park West Hospital, where she visits with Mamie for a while. She brings her some flowers and uh, talks with her and talks with the nurses and the doctors about how she's doing. Around this time, they were considering moving her to a nursing home. And there had been an earlier effort to get her into the nursing home, but she wasn't quite ready. She talks to the nurses and doctors about how things are going, and uh, she's about to leave or, or walking out of the hospital when she gets a call from Katie, who is at school, and she feels ill. Katie's had medical troubles her, through her life. So Katie says she's not feeling well, and, and could mom bring her some for medication? And so she stops at Burger King, I think, or some fast food place, picks up some milkshakes, and goes over to the high school. She goes in the office and says hello to the ladies in the office. She finds Katie in the guidance counselor's office, and they talk for a little while. She gives her some of the medication, and, and then she heads home. It's when she gets home that she uh, parks in the driveway, comes in the back door, comes through the house, yells out for David, hey, I'm home, or something like that. She, there's no answer. So at first she assumes that he's gone uh, with his friend. And she goes in the back, and there he is. But Raynella giving more detail about where she was that morning didn't make Moyers any less suspicious. If anything, it made him more. Yeah, she had all of that just planned down to the minutes. Indeed. And even amazingly... Although I'm not, I can't recall if we saw it, uh, but she had gone to see Mr. Lee's mother, whom I understood that she hardly ever went to see in the hospital, and um, had been on the security cameras, seeing her. Amazingly enough, to to help with the alibi. I mean, people have alibis, but do they have that elaborate of an alibi? Usually, it was. I was over here with a friend, asked the friend, we were seen at the bar, not bang, bang, bang each time, where were you? She went to a Burger King to pick up some food to take her daughter at the school where she was going. 
Well, you've got a receipt for that. Nice, you know? When you're building a timeline, nice. Don't you throw the receipt away with a bag? Heck, you know, I do. Moyer sent Raynella home, told her he was still investigating. Raynella called her stepdaughter. She told me that they said that, I mean, it wasn't suicide, it was homicide. That, you know, she would be interested that, uh, you know, she told me that. Oh, she did? Yes, she told me that I needed to get a lawyer. What was your reaction to that? I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so I called, uh, you know, a friend of mine that was a lawyer that handled a divorce, you know, just asking him, he said, well, you, you were at work, you have nothing. He said, don't worry about it. That phone call isn't the only surprise she has in store for her stepdaughter. There were wills drafted by an attorney. In those wills, basically, if he died, they were, I believe, reciprocal wills. If he died, everything would go to Raynella and basically leave his daughter out. Why would David Leith cut his own daughter out of his will? And is that will the reason he's dead? So when you, when you ultimately learn that the will gives her everything, did that seem odd to you? Do you uh, think your yes. dad would have talked to you about that? Um, no, he didn't talk about any of, you know, his his stuff. And you, I mean, they were very private. But I just, I mean, I don't feel like they would have left, left us out. It was just the beginning of several secrets that surfaced after David's death. Because soon, Cindy Wilkerson winds up with the ashes of a father that was supposed to be against cremation and a fight on her hands with his widow. On the next episode of Suspicion. It, it does seem odd that you know, that will that was a source of emotional visit to see one's lawyer that, you know, 45 days later it can't be found. And it's in the record, I think my wife is trying to kill me. We see in the medical records that when he's having an off day, he often feels persecuted and angry and confused. Also, there was a diary, so to speak, that she had at the house trying to set up and further the medical issues with Mr. Leith. Suspicion is a production of the Knoxville News Sentinel and the USA Today Network, Tennessee. It is narrated by me, Courtney Roark, written by Jamie Satterfield, and produced by John Garcia, Erica Whitney, and Angela Gosnell. Original theme music by Elijah Newman and Chris Potosik. Sound engineered by Elijah Newman. You can subscribe to Suspicion wherever you typically listen to podcasts. Be sure to rate and leave a review as well. You can also keep up to date with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SuspicionPod.